Thanks be to God for Katie and for this scripture. Hello again. I'm Hannah, and this is Felicia, our worship leader. Um, you'll hear a little bit in a second about what our uh, sermon series is this month, um, but part of it is living into abundance, which is what we're going to talk about today, and collaborating and cooperating. And something that some of you guys might not know is that every week um, our whole band and our whole community benefit from the leadership that Felicia takes in engaging with our scripture and our sermon series to pick music that just perfectly fits the theology of whatever we're trying to get at. And I've benefited so much from my conversations with her. I thought, why don't we make one of those conversations public? So we're going to have a conversation about... Um, the topic and the scripture today so that you can get a little insight into what's happening during the week to prepare your worship, but also into how we enter the scripture in different ways. So this Advent, um, our sermon series has been uh, on unexpected gifts of transformational values. We have been engaged for about two and a half years in an anti-racist audit at our community at Urban Village with a nonprofit called Crossroads, trying to figure out what are all the ways that our church community, our individual lives, different institutions we're a part of um, that have been formed by white supremacy and by white institutional values. How can we shift them, challenge them, change ourselves and the communities we're a part of to make them more anti-racist and therefore more gospel-based? Because we know that anti-racist is who Jesus Christ is. And one of the, the tools that Crossroads offered us for that early on was the tool of these four values, where we change from one set of values that we've been taught by a hurting world to a more expansive set of values that help us to be anti-racist. And those four values were moving from an either-or perspective to a both-and perspective, moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset, Moving from secrecy, right, need to know, hold it close, to transparency, and moving from individual to cooperation and collaboration. And so today is scarcity to abundance, and we want to share with you our thoughts on that. So first, um, how were you formed, do you think, either by the world, by your family, spiritually, um, emotionally, to think about scarcity and abundance? What are the things that mattered to you? Hi, everybody. Hi, Mom, Papa. <laughs> so he's like, hi. Um, <laughs> so um, I grew up here in Chicago, um, born and raised, and um, my family was pretty poor. Um, and so, but and there was eight kids, so six girls and two boys, and then lots of grandkids. Uh, starting when I was five, uh, my sister started having kids, and. Um, we didn't have much, but I didn't know we didn't have that much. It just didn't, we had, we ate every day. We, um, we weren't starving, we had clothes to wear. Um, and then when I got to high school, um, I went to a performing arts, arts high school, and all of those kids had been, um, uh, their, their parents had lots of means and money, and I didn't know anybody who looked like me who had stuff. Like, I didn't know, like, you could have enough clothes for the week because I just didn't have it. Um, so then I started to associate that as a need. Like, I need to have all of these things to kind of feel um, this emptiness that I feel like I feel like I'm not good enough. I didn't have the music training that they had. I didn't have the background. So my way of filling in that was stuff. Um, because I couldn't get the music lessons. I didn't have the money. But I could get some of the stuff they had. Um, 
So when I became an adult, obviously that didn't work then because my parents still had all those kids and they didn't magically become rich <laughs> just because I wanted it. Um, but then when I got older and I was able to purchase anything I want, I purchased everything. I bought all the clothes I wanted and all the shoes I wanted and all the guitars I wanted. Um, and then they were just in my house. Um, and then I kept moving because I was living in apartments. And I just recently moved to, a ho- uh, to another house and I realized that I don't have anywhere to put all this stuff. Where's all this stuff going to go? Like, do I really? And my husband kept saying, do you really need this? Do you really need this? I was like, no, probably haven't worn it in like two, three years. Can't even fit. I can't get a shoulder in this shirt. I just <laughs> have it. And dresses that don't even fit. And it's like, why, do you, why are you keeping this? Um, um, and I don't think I knew... And until I had to wrestle with that, I didn't know how to apply a scripture like this where it's like, you have it, and I've given it to you, and you can, you can give it. You can give it to people who need it, who want it, people who may be looking for a job or something, and they need a nice dress, or they need a nice pair of boots, not to just throw it away and be wasteful, but not to hoard on to it, because um, it really wasn't a need. So Hannah, how is that... Um, um, how do you think that uh, scarcity and abundance has applied to your life? Yeah, I think one thing I learned um, as we've been sharing together is how much your sense of what is scarce and what is abundant is about comparing yourself to other people. Um, because you had this thing, right? I didn't know that I had less than other people until I met people that I had less than. I was sort of the opposite. I grew up um, pretty wealthy. My parents had a lot of money. And, um, and I, I say that actually really consciously because nobody ever admits when they have more than they need. It feels awkward to say. I think because you feel like, um, yeah, it feels like either we, you know that you aren't giving away enough, right, if you have more than enough, but also it's a way to pretend like nobody has more than enough if nobody who has more than enough admits it. <laughs> and so I, I grew up and my, my parents were wealthy. They had a lot of money, but I didn't know that either until I started to, when you start to notice other people's houses, right? I, I think a big part of high school and college is you notice, oh wait, other people parent differently than the people who raised me. Other people have different houses and eat different food and it's this miraculous occasion. Um, and I started to notice exactly that, that some people had more than me, but some people, but most people had less. Um, and trying to figure out what to do with that was a big part of my development into a person. And so I had a real sense of abundance around material goods. Um, which now as an adult, I think it has been a gift in my life, even as now um, I don't have all the money in the world, I do sort of have a strong sense of like, it'll be okay, you can make it work, you don't need the things that actually is much easier to get if you've always had what you need. It's, it's easier to be casual about it. Um, what I, where I experienced a, sense, a strong sense of scarcity was in like um, emotional, social love stuff. I had a real strong sense, even though I I had a pretty good community, pretty good extended family, that there definitely was something wrong with me. I wasn't worthy, or I wasn't good enough, or I didn't do enough, um, and, and love felt scarce. It felt abundant for everyone else, but then if I thought, well, does God really love me? Do people really love me? The answer was always no, right? Why would they? I'm not good enough. And so there was a sense of of scarcity coming from that side, more the baptism, holy fire part um, of John's scripture. 
Um, and I want to say that wherever you fall in this how you've been formed by scarcity and abundance, John has a message for everybody, right? The tax collectors, the soldiers, these are all different people in different classes, and each of them gets a sense from John of figure out what need actually is, figure out what want actually is, and move from there. So um, for me, um, where scarcity was <laughs> abundant <laughs> in my life, um, was that same kind of emotional connection. Um, so in addition to not having much money, I had the blessing of having, so, so look at me right now. Okay, so my eyes were the same size as they are now, my ears and my teeth were all the same size as they are now, but with a smaller head. That didn't really go well in elementary school. Just did not look good. And I think my glasses were even bigger than they are now. Um, so, so, I mean, if you can imagine, I was picked on just a little bit, just a little bit, and it wasn't a little bit. Okay, so I got picked on a little bit, and so, um, so if you put that with being a middle child and not getting a lot of attention because there's just a lot of kids um, in the house, um, and then um, not getting any good attention from school, only getting attention from um, altercations and stuff like that. Uh, and um, then I got attention for it. Once people found out I could sing, now I'm getting attention for that. So I, it was like, light bulb, I have to do something to get some love. That's what you got. So um, that got connected to that real easy. And it's real easy to get real stuck in that as a musician. If you do it real good, People give you all the love, what you think is love. So that's why I thought I could get the abundance out of, uh, 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 of that kind of um, connection. Uh, um, and then I, that translated to my other relationships when it came to, because I didn't really have friends. Um, it's probably the teeth thing. But they look good now, but I'm just saying. I'm t like I told them at first service, I've never been single. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not going. They laughed a little harder earlier. So. <laughs> It's okay, we're going to hear y'all broken hearts. Okay, so, and, <laughs> moving on. So, that, that, was, so, that laugh was a little painful the last time. So, yeah, so it, um, when I had friends, when I was making friends, I, um, as, a, as an adult, I didn't know how to navigate those relationships. Boom, how do you get it? You need to do something. The same way I was dealing with my personal relationships, I had to do something to get them to love me. But even in that, I am uh, projecting onto them that they have to need me for something. They don't need anything. There's, my husband says all the time, I don't need anything. I don't need you to do anything. Um, and I've heard that so much in the past, but I didn't get, like, why won't you accept this thing that I'm trying to give you? And it's like, I don't need you to do anything to be with me. It won't make me love you anymore. It won't make me want to be with you anymore. And when those type of relationships falter, it's like, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Yeah, which I think really comes from this part of how scarcity works itself out in our particular moment in time, in our particular culture, is that it's um, scarcity with an eye towards competition, mm -hmm. right? There aren't enough resources, there's not enough love, there's not enough anything, so you have to compete and everything becomes transactional, right? And so you believe some part of you is like, you only get love if you put in coins of tasks or like coins of things I do for you because all things are transactional. And it turns out God says no. <laughs> most of the, uh, most transactions are unequal because the biggest transaction that has ever happened is I have created and I have created more than enough. And I have loved you more than enough. And out of that, you can live in whatever way you are called. Um, I was curious to hear 
one of the intersections of the transformational values for us as a community has been with anti-racism. And so how that scarcity and abundance have played for you and how you experience racism or where you think it can intersect. Because I shared with you a, a big like light bulb moment for me around that was um, long before I became a pastor, right? I went to church and um, I had just started going to a new church because I just moved to a new neighborhood. And within a couple months, they were like, hey, do you want to run the finance team? Which should have been a red flag that I did not see at the time. I was like, yeah, of course, I want to serve, I want to help. Um, and it turned out that nobody else wanted to run the finance team because they were in the midst of a long, ongoing conflict about how to spend their money <laughs> and where the money should go. And so I got kind of involved in that. Um, and as I learned more about the community, learned that this was a community that had for a very long time been queer affirming and been multi-class and been like really open to their neighborhood and they had a lot of love, but they'd been majority white and only recently had started to do anti-racist work. Um, and part of that had been, um, as they grew, having a multi-racial staff. So they had two pastors, one who was white, one who was a person of color, and those pastors were leading together and doing some really cool creative things, and both of them were great. And somehow as we had this conversation about money, people kept saying to me, we don't have enough money, we have to fire person of color pastor whose name I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you. And I was like, that's interesting. Why is that the first place that all these people are going? Why is that the first recommendation? There are all kinds of other ways to think about our resources. There are all kinds of other ways to think about our money, to think about our budget. And I realized, um, you know, I think these were people who were kind in many ways, but the work of trying to figure out what was going on inside of them and how deep racism lived in their lives and inside of them um, was so hard. They were using scarce dollars as an excuse to say, let's stop doing that hard work. Like, this feels too hard for me. Um, let me look to something that I think is objective, which is scarce dollars, and say, we don't have enough of this, so we have to stop doing this thing that's making me uncomfortable. And I think about that all the time now. Whenever I say to myself, I don't have enough time to do that. I don't have enough money to do that. I don't have enough right, emotional resources to do that. I think to myself, is that true? Am I, is this like a boundary no that's coming out of a healthy place? Or am I using it, my imagining of scarcity as an excuse to not do something that's hard for me for some other reason? <laughs> or something that scares me for some other reason? And so I do a lot of that. So um, at another church that I was at, um, they had a lot of money. Um, they had all the money in the world, it seemed like, and I could just buy whatever I want to. I could just be like, hey, I want a harpsichord. And they'll be like, bam, you got a harpsichord. Like, oh, so I want The fantasies of a musician, right? <laughs> Never have I thought to myself, oh, I want a harpsichord. You know what's funny a harpsichord is? <laughs> I'm oh sure. Oh my gosh, freaking ridiculous. You know, and I'm like, oh, I want a harp player. Boom, you got a harp player. Although we do have a harp player here. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I could just get whatever I want and, um, that was great, and uh, <laughs> but, but there was no, I just, while there was an abundance of stuff, we had all this stuff, there was no, um, no love and no grace there, and um, my husband would always say, oh, I just, I don't feel any God here. They're just tolerating people. They're not just, they're not, I don't feel like people in our community could go in there. They say they have the whole, you know the sign that the Methodists give us, that sign that they have, and they put it in the line, and it's like, we love everybody of all identities, but I feel like if some of the people here would go in, they would have a problem with it. They wouldn't say anything to your face, but um, I, that, that type of just tolerating people's existence, um, 
and the assumption that normal is straight and white and this and that um, is a problem. It's like if we got to go past, you know, black and white, that's an issue. Like it went, even went as far as to be like, uh, as them um, calling to have a white pastor, like asking, requesting one, because they got tired of getting minority pastors. They didn't want any more minority pastors. So um, just that time, it, it was just too hard work. And even me um, pointing out things that might be issues to persons of colors who are in our congregation, um, was an issue. Even me calling to act um, a Spanish congregation whose church burned down, who wanted to have a service in the church, which has three chapels, they can't do it because it's uncomfortable with you and you don't want to work with Spanish. It's like that, that you have this abundance of stuff, but you're not welcoming the whole community outside the doors the time to at least speak Spanish and you're just going to ignore them, you know, because it's too uncomfortable for you. So they have the stuff but they didn't, they didn't have what they needed, which was grace and love. Like, that's what they really needed. Um, and that's why. So I'm here now, so. <laughs> yeah. And we have, we're going to have our own problems, right? Because yeah. if there's one thing that's definitely abundant, it's that we all mess up sometimes. <laughs> and that's important. Yeah. When, we were in, when we talked about, um, talked to small group, I'm not going to be any specific, but um, we talked about how in this place, we, we're allowed to at least make mistakes. Um, and be able to fix them, like just be able to talk to each other and, and grow from it. It's not just you make a mistake and then it's over for you. I won't see you no more. You, you've done the worst thing ever. I know there's some things like that, but um, just the ability to work through the differences that we have is also not just accepting, but we're, we're here to work with each other is a good part of being here at uh, Urban Village. And that's one thing, um, our last section we wanted to move through. You've heard a little bit about how we think about this scripture in scarcity and abundance, but really get into it. And that's one thing that I really see here. One of the things I love about the way John the Baptist is talking to people is that um, he kind of takes like a harm reduction approach. If any of you guys know what harm reduction is, which is like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, if you can't become amazing, awesome, super wow right away, see what you can do. And so a tax collector comes up to him, right? People who, um, in the context of the society, would have been basically like victimizers of the people around them, people who were constantly taking and taking and taking whatever they asked for. Um, and he doesn't, and he says to them, just stop taking more <laughs> than was asked, right? Let's, let's start there. You don't have to be, you don't have to change your whole job right away. Let's, let's start with stop taking the extra. With the soldiers, he says, um, stop exploiting and extorting people. Just be satisfied with your wages. Start where you can. <laughs> start somewhere where you can be more giving because we live in a world where there is enough food and there are enough dollars and there is enough love, but we aren't distributing them in a way that feels like that, right? We aren't distributing them in a way where, where people do have what they need and where people can have love and justice. And so it says start, right, with the two coats or the satisfied with wages or the whatever it is. Um, and, and the other thing that this scripture really is moving to me about, and particularly in those times when I don't feel like I have enough resources of whatever kind I'm feeling depleted of, is that he doesn't just talk about the material resources. The way that this scripture ends is not with the coats and the wages, it's with your baptism of fire and water, right? 
whatever else might happen, even in the moments when you don't think you have enough or when you literally don't have enough because the world is screwed up and it takes things away from people, when you don't have enough, you are still created by me, baptized by water and by fire by God. And that means you have gifts and treasures and self beyond anything that has ever been known. We're going to share a baptism here together today. And one of the things is that that child is filled with gifts that no other person has ever had in the whole world, right? Goodness and love to offer the world. Ways of joking or smiling or jumping around that no other person can do that are gifts to us even when we feel like we don't have enough of the dollars or the food or the time. Yeah. So I wonder other things about the scripture that... Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, I was... Um... I was scrolling Instagram, because I do that sometimes. Um, somebody else scrolls. I heard you snicker. Is that you, Juan Pablo? Yeah. Okay, so um, you're going to be on the podcast this week. So um, I was scrolling Instagram, and I was um, reading about, um, I don't know if you heard of Roxanne. Uh, she was a transgender woman who got uh, killed while in ICE custody that I heard nothing about. Nothing about. And there's no reports or anything Um on her passing, um, and that that just scares me. Like I don't, the fact that she, like she just doesn't matter anymore. She's that she wasn't given this um, the love and the compassion and the peace, not for an investigation, not for um, some a peace of mind for persons who identify that way, um, who are going through that um, to um, to just be gone. Um, it 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 kind of hurt my spirit right before I got up here, um, because it was this call to like, can somebody tell us what's going on? Um, that just and I'm just thinking about where that comes from. That it might come from a place of people feeling like we don't have enough resources here, um, and sometimes that feeling like we have we don't have enough resources comes from the fact that we hold on to so many resources and we don't give to each other. And maybe if we all just dispersed and this you know gave some of this stuff away maybe we would feel like we can depend on each other and I hoard so many assets so that we can feel like we can welcome each other in without harming um another person uh so um I was thinking about that scripture when I read that like how how could we have given her love um and compassion and acceptance and and not fear um so that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. This is um, the narrative of scarcity is not just one we feel in our individual lives, but one that our world uses to make excuses for acts of cruelty and harm, right? There's not enough, and so we have to harm people who might want more than they have. <laughs> um, and it's not right, and it's not of Christ, and it's not of John the Baptist. God's abundant love is a message to us, not just of the abundance of love that we experience in God, but the abundance of call to make sure that everyone can live into that as a community, <laughs> that we have a responsibility towards one another and towards the flourishing of every single person who God has ever made. And so I pray that we're going to figure out ways to live into that abundance together. I'm grateful for the abundance of this community, for the abundance of love that we have been offered, and for the ways that we might feel that love and then share it in the world so that more of us would know that there is enough and more than enough and we are granted, we are called, we have the right, no matter what anyone else has said, to be a part of it. Amen? 
Amen. Amen. And thank, thank you, everybody. You. And thank you, Felicia. <laughs>